if you're like living in multiple intersecting experiences where the environment around you has been very punitive you know you go into defensive and self-protection mode and sometimes those are the tools that are closest to you i guess like moving from like a privileged body into like a marginalized body i've really seen a really quick shift in how people interact with me welcome to qr code an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers discussing diverse and intersecting topics. QR Code is created and produced on Rwandari land in the studios of 3CR in Fitzroy, Nam, Melbourne. My name is George Maxwell. This episode contains discussions surrounding mental health and suicide. Supports can be accessed through QLife on 1800 184 527 and Lifeline on one three one double one four. There's been much research into the effects of the marriage equality survey on LGBTIQA plus communities. Studies have shown that the survey had a significant impact on queer mental health as a result of discrimination and stigmatization. However, the cis heteropatriarchy didn't dissolve after marriage equality was won. I'm interested in continuing these conversations about mental health looking at a broader range of structural factors that impact the day-to-day lives of queers. In today's episode, I speak to Rouge Ahmedi, Senior Human Rights and Racial Justice Campaigner at Colour Code and Getter, and Nadine Chamali, writer and social worker and founder of Femme Collective. But first, here's Finn Healy, psychology and gender studies student, speaking about growing up and navigating her queer and trans identity. I guess I've always thought of myself as, like, queer or whatever, but that's actually been less to do with sexuality and more to do with just feeling, like, deviant, you know, and I think that was, like, put onto me a lot as a kid. I think, like, the way that, yeah, that, like, queer is put onto people as being, like, like, punishing deviants, I guess, is, like, really forms your view of yourself. And I think it definitely did for me, like, with just feeling like that and feeling like this little freaky-deaky kid or whatever. Even though it was, I guess, related to sexuality stuff, it was almost like an asexualizing thing to be put into that box. Like, the desexualizing and kind of objectifying way that that, like, position that that's put me in, it still, I think, has carried through a lot. And I feel like aspects of queerness, which are kind of, you know, really big aspects, are kind of ones I feel more connected to in some ways than the sexuality stuff because that's so... Yeah, I think that's just... There's just so much shame there still, which is kind of very prohibiting of actually acting on. Like, it's almost like sexuality wasn't actually the grounding point for my queerness. I guess, like, work is kind of interesting, Um, very interesting, because I've worked at this same pub for three years, and that's, like, been very strange to be, like, transitioning in the workplace. has been very hard, I think. And there was never really, like, you know, a coming out process at work to everyone in general. It's kind of just, like, got around, and I think... I'm kind of lucky to have evaded that. And it's been really kind of wild to see how differently 
people are interacting with me, like customers and other people who I work with and stuff. And it's like, I think it's just really tiring and it's really exhausting. I mean, especially like if, I don't know how long ago it would have been, but when I like, I guess like passed less or whatever, and it would be so kind of confusing to have to navigate how people would see me like people would read a different gender onto me and stuff um yeah and I've talked to like a few other trans people about this and how wild it is when you're kind of like like in your transition and you're kind of like 50 50 passing and it's like (laughs) like I remember one interaction I like served this woman and she was like thanks girl and then this like guy came up afterwards and he was like hey bro and it was like, oh my god, you know, in like the space of like a few seconds, there'd been this totally different readings of me about my gender and stuff. And it was like, like looking at your body in that invasive way. Um, or just like imagine that looking, even if it might not be happening or whatever. So it's just like, yeah, those can be quite exhausting sometimes. And here's Nadine. You know, um, it's taken me a long time to kind of figure out what I am. Um, When I was growing up, the word queer was only used as a slur. Um, So, you know, coming coming to terms with who I was in the 90s, especially in 2000 kind of era, um, the word queer didn't really exist yet. You were either bi, um, which was really kind of looked down upon by a lot of the community, Um, you were gay or you were lesbian. Um, And there was this real binary between what you could be if you weren't straight. Um, So kind of as time progressed, and I really, in a way, thank younger people for making queer identity a thing, which I know a lot of my older queer friends will probably yell at me about, but they were the younger people at the time that made it a thing. Um, It was really nice to find a term that defined me because... I am attracted to lots of different kinds of people. I am attracted to different sexualities and different genders um, and different identities. So queer is just this really great umbrella term um, that I could slot into and feel safe in and accepted in. I think there's been periods of um, anxiety and depression in my life where I really... You know, identity is kind of like you're this ball, right, in the middle, and there's all these things that define you. One of them is your job or your career path, your education, your family, your relationships, your hobbies. And one of those things that define you is your sexuality. And I think when there's a lot of confusion around your sexuality and who you are and what you are, that can create a lot of personal mental health turmoil. And it did for me... um, I really didn't know who I was. I kept having these relationships with men and um, kind of flings or fleeting romances with other people, women or gender diverse people. And I didn't really understand what that meant, especially when I was very young, you know, 17, 18, 19. Um, I didn't understand how that fit into my identity. I didn't realize that it was affecting my mental health till many years later. And I started seeing a therapist and, You know, I probably would have been about 26, 27. Um, 27, my marriage to a man had just ended. um, And I was able to explore my younger years and who I was and and what that meant. For me, I I definitely um, gravitated towards the more heteronormative 
um, public profile especially. Um, because I'm also Middle Eastern, it's very uh, traditional community structure. So I could never really be queer publicly um, in the public eye of my community. Um, so it was a really big deal when I embraced my queer identity, but it was a really big for me, big deal for me personally. I didn't do it necessarily publicly. Um, I did it, you know, just for me. Um, and that was really great. I, I really felt finally like I understood who I was when I discovered queerness. And here's Rouge. The story I'm going to tell is about coming out. I was always looped in to uh, like queer theory and I was like working really hard to be a good ally. That was like my main focus because I instantly framed myself as, you know, outside of the LGBTIQA community. And I, it was only when I started to see representations of my own experiences of sexuality, which weren't like hypersexualized. Um, they weren't commodified. It was a like a deeply, perhaps philosophical experience as well, um, and it was also embedded in like traditional cultures and um, and religious customs. That although you know I'm not religious at the moment. Um, I grew up, um, you know, in Iraq and I was raised by um, a Muslim grandmother um, early in my life. And I think, you know, in those formative years, you really take up those customs and you really embed them in your life, whether um, whether you realize it or not. And, you know, uh, so many child psychologists and like uh, specialists highlight those first six years of your life are very much um, the the pivotal moments in your life that you learn the way the way that you interact with the world the way you perceive the world um and so i think that was a huge influence on me um and that uh, that framing of morality and ethics within that perspective was um a major influence and so the reason that i came out was because i started to actually connect with community and other queer people of color. The only people that I saw who were queer around me were white. And I and I just wasn't really attracted to that experience. Um, and I wasn't really attracted to white people either. I just, like, wasn't attracted to that um, particular expression of queerness. But through those communities, I started to uh, explore like the possibility and I remember asking my friend you know maybe I've just like assumed that I'm in a particular way or I'm a particular sexuality maybe I um I haven't ever really asked myself the question because I actually have realized that I've never asked myself the question and when I ask myself the question I don't really have the answer um and I feel more fluid and in particular spaces I feel more able to explore myself and I feel a bit more grounded so maybe like in my bid to be intellectually engaged with the idea I've never actually emotionally um, or like spiritually connected with that concept or really had a you know tough talking to myself now I've been through a lot in my life and I was a former refugee from Iraq and I've like gone through the gamut of those you know 15 20 years of um, dealing with like structural 
oppressions and all that sort of stuff. So I've been in many opportunities where I've asked myself hard questions. I was used to that process, but it sort of like stunned me that I hadn't actually ever asked myself that question. My younger brother is queer as well. So I was just like working really hard to be supportive for him. And then when I was around 24, 25, um, I asked myself that question and because I didn't have an answer then that sort of started a new era and a new like fluidity to my gender and sexual expressions as well. You're listening to QR Code, a queer health podcast produced at 3CR. Today's episode is on the impact of structural factors on queer mental health. I don't think that was like a click moment but I think that was a kind of stage of just being like yeah, being able to contextualize it and then being able to like be like, okay, this is not my fault or the blame is not on me. Um, and I guess that like enables a kind of separation from what's going on. And yeah, being able to like, I guess, think less about, you know, what are people seeing in me? What are they reading from me as being like, telling me something about me and rather telling me something about them. I think that it, it is true that it's actually more about their own things and these own, these kind of like systems, like working, they're just like mouthpieces for like cis-normativity or heteronormativity or whatever. Um, and that's kind of been really useful in terms of not internalising those comments as much and being like, oh, they've misread me, so... I'm going to have a crisis about it. Not that that doesn't happen. And yeah, another big thing has just been like talking to other um, trans people, especially, and other queer people about those kind of experiences and being able to be like, oh yeah, you've experienced that as well. And I think that's really like important because it's, yeah, just like having those conversations like and connecting over that is really great because it's like, really nice to have that understood but also to be like that's not I'm not alone in this and it's not my fault and it's just like things that we've as a group had to cop because of the ways that society is messed up (laughs) well it's kind of interesting because I'm like I'm studying psychology and so I think like I care a lot about healing and well-being and psychological well-being and stuff like that um and kind of the process of learning it kind of reproduces these things that would make you feel really alienated and would make you feel really disconnected from people and also the ways that they talk about people are really like objectifying um of people who don't fit like normative frameworks you know psychology that just trains you to like accept your oppression better or something like that and trains you to be like This isn't a societal problem, it's a personal one. And I guess being like, you know, queer and trans in that space is... We always talk about this, but we really do take it for granted, the need for representation. And representation that isn't, you know, the expressions in our narratives that we consume, whether it's in media, pop culture, writing... Um, a lot of these narratives are very much embedded, like the identity of queerness is embedded in trauma and pain. And that's one thing that I didn't really connect with because 
I I also like in all of the other intersecting identities that I inhabit. I want to define myself outside of the oppressions I face or the traumas I you know may have experienced. Like I am more than that, and I can be or. And I can matter outside of the restrictions or the inhibitions of our current context. And I always, you know, want to push myself towards that. Because if I define myself within my traumas, although it's totally valid, I don't think it's a holistic view of myself. And I also... Um, don't want to act from a place of pain because I think that sometimes that is destructive. It um, can be laterally violent. Um, it can be really hurtful to the people that you should be embracing. And it also like doesn't allow you to open yourself to the complexities of um, the world and how like we may create uh, you know an alternate moral code but oftentimes we reinforce the same binaries or the same restrictions that we're trying to escape so I want to be fluid and open um, in that way but the representations that we constantly see are very deeply embedded in trauma and oppression I, I want to articulate um, my experience outside of that and so although we're asking for more representation of LGBTIQA people, um, what does that representation look like? Um, and is there a place for joy um, and mistakes and fallibility and complexity um, that, you know, uh, normative characters are not afforded? Um, and also beauty standards. Uh, we, you know, like although the LGBTIQA community can want to, you know, interrogate the normative beauty standards, the white cis, uh, you know, skinny beauty standards. We still reinforce it and we still desire particular bodies above others, um, acknowledging that I'm a white passing person of colour and I'm skinny as well and able-bodied. But, like, breaking that open, I think, like... um, interrogating that with celebration and interrogating the way that we police each other's bodies. Um, you know, you, you see like all those comments, you know, on Grinder or other platforms where it's like no fats, no Asians, no black people. Um, uh, and this kind of uh, desexualizing of disabled people, things like that. So I think that queerness can lend itself to um, engaging with that and I think it was so freeing for me to realize that every you know every like romantic or sexual interaction was an opportunity to like experience a complete universe of a person um, and that was like so exciting and it sort of took away this weird um, point scoring way that heteronormativity and cisnormativity has like embedded in the way that we uh, engage in our romantic and sexual relationships. Um, I also, uh, my experience also highlights the fact that queerness often can be hypersexualized. And, you know, if you're asexual, for example, or if you're, you know, um, following like some tradition or uh, cultural practices or religious practices, that can be quite inhibiting. And uh, and also, it you know, kind of like le- lends itself to by erasure where, you know, um, if you are in like a visibly uh, straight hetero 
um, cis relationship. You can constantly feel the need to have to prove yourself and and in this weird, like, fetishistic way. Um, and it's really important to step away from that, like, what is queerness feel like outside of the sexual as well and so we need to talk about that and I think if people were you know it took me a long time to find places where those conversations were happening so making those more accessible because burnout in our spaces in activist spaces or queer spaces or spaces where you're dealing with trauma burnout is really real um, and I'm one of those people that can be prone to burnout um, and for me, changing what I'm putting out, changing my output, um, has been a really vital part of learning how to deal with that. Putting myself in spaces where I know I'm helping and keeping in mind that there are young people that hopefully, you know, might listen to me or might see me and go, wow, a visible, you know, chubby Arab migrant queer woman who's a single mum and talks about abortions and talks about... Um, you know, being attracted to gender diverse people, that gives me a lot of mental strength. I can't imagine 20 years ago there being a queer Arab woman out there. And if there had been, how much that would have helped me at the time. Um, so by trying to be that person, I think I feel good about my mental health and myself. Look, undoubtedly just structures have changed. Representation has changed quite dramatically. I'm a little bit older. I'm 38. So I've been watching this transformation from my early teens. Um, there's certainly a lot more support. There's certainly a lot more visibility. There's certainly a lot more queers out there. Um, but I also think there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, and I think that that weighs on a lot of queer people because we know that as a general rule, we have this social responsibility. Um, and I think a lot of queer people take that on themselves to be visible and, and to be out there. And um, it is a lot of work and respect to those who don't, that are just living their life, like no judgment or anything at all. But um, for those of us that are visible and are fighting, there, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, you, you still see suicide rates are really high for people around queer identity or around any intersection, around anyone who's struggling with anything. Um, you know, we do see these higher suicide rates and we do see higher self-harm rates. We see higher mental health rates, um, you know, sickness rates. I think that we do have a long way to go still. And I'd love to see a world where, you know what, we didn't even have to use the word queer. We just, people are doing their thing and this is all fine. People can just sleep with or fall in love with or not sleep with whoever they want and we don't need to talk about it. So um, if that's the final goal, we certainly have a long way to go. Yeah. Like supporting your friends is such a big act of resistance to all of these things because it's like, you know, you're taught that you got to find your neat little heterosexual couple and then you go off to like straighty 180 land and you like they're your main source of support or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, supporting each other emotionally is so important to, I guess, activism stuff because it's, like, if you have, like, real support for each other that people will be less likely to need, like, psychology services or whatever in their official form because, like, connections and community provide so much of that. 
so yeah it's a big part of resisting things but also like making sure you know you have that support so you have the strength to fight these bigger fights I know that we're in an age where we don't really need to care what our parents think and coming out is a big deal but at the same time we don't need to care about what our parents think and we're adults and we don't owe them an explanation and we don't owe them um, involvement in our personal lives our home lives those boundaries can be firm that this is my space and my sexuality is mine and I don't need to explain it to you. I don't need to explain it to anyone. This is just who I am. I think we are stuck. Uh, We like to express the virtues of abolitionism, um, transformative justice, uh, not being disposable of each other, uh, not acting from a place of hurt, not being laterally violent, um, you know, being uh, totally open and positive about elements. But I think, you know, we have experienced hardship. And so it's really hard to step from a traumatic experience and want better. And you actually have to hold yourself to it um, on a personal level. But you also have to like act firmly and with love. And that's a really difficult thing to do. Um, I think people are still acting from a place of hurt and they're lashing out and able to the kind of like internet versions naming of like cancel culture and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think that we are still, we're still punitive in the way that we respond to things. I feel like once you like kick up a momentum to be like, it's worth it and I'm going to be really um, upfront and I'm, um, I'm going to like say it how it is and be really straight about it the only way that you're going to be straight um and (laughs) um yeah if you you know and actually like confront things head on it means that you're accepting that things are not as simple as they as they seem and um we can't force things into a good bad binary and we have to work through that um but working through that is also acknowledging that uh, oftentimes the people that are afforded fallibility or afforded um, an opportunity to make a mistake or growth or um, messiness are those who already have like elements of power and access. So it has to come hand in hand. You've been listening to QR Code with George Maxwell. Thanks so much to our guests. Rouge, Nadine and Finn for sharing their experiences and understandings of queerness and mental health. Listen and download our episodes from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR code and follow us on Facebook at QR code 3CR. QR code would like to thank the City of Yarra for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Our theme music is Ritual for Transformation Produced by Michele Vescio. Next time on QR Code, Anya Saravanan will be talking about the intersections between queerness and cultural identity. Catch you next time.